Luther strives through his words to tell us how we can learn from Mary to sing what he calls a right magnificat. Now, uh, we have already heard Bach's setting of the first words of this hymn, My soul doth magnify the Lord. Luther says, These words express the strong ardor and exuberant joy whereby all her mind and life are inwardly exalted in the spirit. It is as though she said, My life and all my senses float in the love and praise of God and in lofty pleasures, so that I am no longer mistress of myself. I am exalted more than I exalt myself to praise the Lord. He says, That is the experience of all those through whom the divine sweetness and spirit are poured. They cannot find words to utter what they feel. For to praise the Lord with gladness is not a work of man. It is rather a joyful suffering and the work of God alone. Bach almost goes beyond words in this first moment of the Magnificat setting. Uh, We hear the word Magnificat over and over again. Uh, Leaping fanfare passages mingle with rapid passages that sound like the intertwining bands of a regal crown. And in a way, they sound also like this floating in the love and praise of God of which Luther speaks. He uses five voices in this setting. uh, And by staggering the vocal entries, passing musical ideas back and forth between voices and instruments, he manages to give the impression that there are not five voices, but perhaps thousands joining in this praise. We go next to, And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Luther sees that Mary sets things in their proper order when she calls God her Lord before calling him Savior, and when she calls him Savior before recounting his works. She teaches us, therefore, to love and praise God for himself alone and in the right order, and not selfishly to seek anything of his hands. Bach, appropriately here, allows us to hear a woman's voice first among the various soloists, He continues the regal gestures that he set up in the opening chorus, the fanfares, the drums and trumpets, and I can't help but hear a little dance step in the decorated bass line here. At the words, in Deo salutare meo, the vocal line gradually comes down from above, just as salvation comes down from above and is not of our doing.
For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Luther tells us that Mary does not glory either in her worthiness nor her unworthiness, but solely in the divine regard. True humility never knows that it is humble, for if it knew this, it would turn proud from contemplation of so fine a virtue, but it clings with all its heart and mind and senses to lowly things, sets them continually before its eyes, and ponders them in its thoughts. The Virgin Mary was a poor, despised, and lowly maiden who served God in her low estate, nor knew it was so highly esteemed by him. And now, our right magnificat, this should comfort us and teach us that even though we should willingly be humbled and despised, we ought not to despair and deem God angry with us, but rather set our hope on his grace and be concerned only lest we be not cheerful and contented enough in our low estate and lest we secretly lust after lofty things and satisfaction with self which is the death of humility. Bach uses instrumental color here to highlight the text. The beautiful sound of the obodomore gives us the plaintive sound of a lowly handmaiden. Uh, You will readily notice that every time the word humilitatem appears, it droops, it drops down humbly. And the word ecce, behold, points up and makes us take notice. Interestingly enough, the word beatum, All generations shall call me blessed, hardly gets any attention at all. It drops down in a humble way, just like humilitatum does.
Bach did not have to worry about technology. Um, maybe just the technology of the organ, perhaps. But um, Now, we go from here to the text, For he that is mighty has done to me great things, and holy is his name. Luther says the great things here are nothing less than that she became the mother of God, in which work so many and such great good things are bestowed on her as past man's understanding. For on this there follows all honor, all blessedness, and her unique place in the whole of mankind, among which she has no equal, namely that she had a child by the Father in heaven, and such a child. Mary does not desire to be an idol. She desires nothing. God does all. To illustrate God's might, Bach uses a bass soloist, accompanied only by the keyboard and bass instruments. There is no other uh, melodic instrument involved here, perhaps suggesting that God does all and we do nothing. renders the next line as this, and his mercy endures to children's children of them that fear him. And he continues, this then is the work of God, that he is merciful who all who are ready to do without their own opinion, right, wisdom, and all spiritual goods, and willing to be poor in spirit. These are they who truly fear God and count themselves not worthy of anything and are glad to be naked and bare before God and man who ascribe whatever they have to his pure grace, bestowed on the unworthy, who use it with prayer and fear and thanksgiving, and through it, and though it belong to another, and who seek not their own will, desire, or honor, but his alone to whom it belongs. Bach writes a gently rocking setting of this text, which really reminds me of the children's children of Luther's translation. It's like a cradle song, perhaps also like a love song. And uh, we hear two voices, 
joined by three instruments. And uh, although this is speculation on my part, whenever you see threes in Bach's music, you can always jump to the quite probable conclusion that he is thinking in terms of the Trinity. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Luther writes, God is a Lord whose works are of such nature that he mightily scatters the proud and is merciful to those who fear him. The arm of God means God's own power by which he works without the medium of any creature. This power can be known and understood only by faith. Where man's strength ends, God's strength begins, provided faith is present and we wait on him. And where man's strength begins, God's strength ends. When their bubble is full-blown and everyone supposes them to have won and overcome and they themselves feel safe and secure and have achieved, then God pricks the bubble and all is over. We come to the words, he scatters the proud in the imagination of their hearts. The scattering comes to pass when their wisdom is at its height, when they are filled with their own knowledge, 
then God's wisdom is no longer with them. And in what better way could he scatter them than by depriving them of his eternal wisdom and letting them to be filled with their own temporal, short-lived, and dying wisdom? For Mary says, the proud in the imagination of their hearts, (coughs) that is, those who delight in their own opinions, thoughts, and reason, which not God but their heart inspires, and to deem them alone right and good and wise above all others. In this section, Bach returns to the sounds of royalty. The strength of God's arm has great power here, and each voice part gets a chance to elaborate on it. The music goes wildly out of control when we get to the word disperse. It is tossed from voice to voice, lands on a dissonant chord, and then finally grinds to a halt on the words, the imagination of their hearts. The Latin word here is mente. Uh, It's a quite stunning depiction of what happens here. from their seats and exalted them of low degree. Uh, Luther again talks about those who are wise in their own eyes. He says, let them be wise, mighty, rich. It will not be for long. Those of low degree are here not the humble, but are those who are altogether nothing in the eyes of the world. Uh, Now, when God exalts them, This does not mean that he will put them in the seats of those he has cast out. I love this in Luther's comments. Any more than when he shows mercy to them that fear him, he puts them in the place of the learned proud. He grants them rather to be exalted spiritually and in God and to be judges over the seats and power and all might, both here and in heaven, for they have more knowledge than all the learned and mighty. Now, uh, Bach gives the tenor the cast the, the, the task of casting down the mighty. Uh, he has mighty uh, downward uh, heading scales, and uh, you'll hear very clearly what he has in mind here. Mm-hmm. 
very decisive action on the tenor's part and certainly on God's. Um, We come next to, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. Uh, Luther writes some wonderful things here. Uh, He likens Mary's words to those of Hannah, uh, the mother of Samuel in the Old Testament. And then he declares this, what sort of faith is that which trusts in God when all the while you feel and know that you have goods laid up whereby you are able to help yourself? It is because of our unbelief that we see God's word, the truth, and the right defeated, the wrong triumph, and yet remain silent. Do not rebuke, speak out, nor prevent it, but let things go as we will. Why? We are afraid that we too might be attacked and made poor and might then perish of hunger and be forever laid low. That is to esteem temporal goods more than God and to put them in God's place as an idol. You must feel the pinch of poverty in the midst of your hunger and learn by experience what hunger and poverty are with no provision on hand and no help in yourself or any other man, but in God only, so that the work may be God's alone uh, and cannot be done by another. This is probably my favorite moment in Bach's Magnificat. Uh, There's an innocence and a bit of a swagger here as the soloist contemplates uh, the reality of the last being first and the first last. There's also a musical pun here. I think I'm going to skip so you hear it. Uh, At the very end of the movement, uh, when uh, the text uh, speaks of the rich being sent empty away, we hear the music come to a close, and in place of the nice, full, final chord that you expect, there's nothing, just a single bass note. The rich are sent away empty. Here's the beginning. sent away. Okay. um, Mary concludes the Magnificat, Luther writes, by mentioning the very greatest of all God's works, the incarnation of the Son of God. 
No one is God's servant, save he that lets him be his God and perform his works in him. And now Luther writes something that should make uh, those of us high church people cringe a little bit. He writes, alas, the word service of God has nowadays taken on so strange a meaning that whoever hears it thinks not of those works of God, but rather of the ringing of bells, the wood and stone of churches, incense, the flicker of candles, gold, silver, precious stones, the vestments of choir boys and celebrants, chalices, monstrances, organs and images, processions and church going, and most of all, the babbling of lips and the rattling of rosaries. This, alas, is what the service of God means now. Of such service, God knows nothing at all, while we know nothing but this. Now the Israel that is God's servant, him the incarnation of Christ benefits. Uh, I find a great beauty in this music that suggests to me something of the sprawling history of God's relation with Israel. And strangely enough, I hear in it some of those bells and processions and beautiful things that Luther rails against. It just might be me. I don't know. spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Luther writes, Here all merit and presumption are brought low, and God's grace and mercy alone exalted. For God has not helped Israel on account of their merits, but on account of his promise. In pure grace he made that promise. In pure grace he fulfilled it. He raises up seed unto Abraham, the natural son of one of his daughters, pure virgin Mary through the Holy Spirit and without her knowing a man. That is the blessed seed of Abraham in whom all the world is set free from its curse. This is Abraham's seed, begotten by none of his sons, as the Jews always confidently expected, but born of this one daughter of his, Mary alone. And for that, we get a few still just two or three more minutes. I think we can finish the whole Magnificat. Uh, after this fugue, one thing remains. Just as we do when we sing psalms here at All Souls, uh, Bach ends the Magnificat with the lesser doxology, also known as the Gloria Patri. Glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. Uh, there's one more musical pun here. 
uh, just to show that Bach was not always the stuffy person that uh, we very mistakenly imagine him to be. Uh, we have the text as it was in the beginning. And I'm wondering if you can guess how he sets this. He goes right back to the very beginning of the piece. And here's how it sounds. servants, Johann Sebastian Bach, Martin Luther, Elizabeth, and Mary, and the whole host of the redeemed. Uh, and I hope that uh, those of you who are coming to the uh, 11 o'clock service as you participate in the Magnificat yourselves, that you may uh, see it and read it in a slightly different light, having experienced it through Bach and through Martin Luther. Uh, if there are any questions, I'd be glad to field them, but uh, otherwise, uh, this is what I had to present this morning.